Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the fellowship that we have this afternoon, and we ask you to just bless this time as we open your word. Guide and lead us as to what we should see from this. If anybody's on their way, we ask you to bring them quickly. In your son's precious name, amen. Amen. Psalm chapter, well, Psalm 80. There's no chapter, it's Psalm. Psalm 80. Starting at verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you that leads Joseph like a flock, you that dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh stir up your strength and come and save us. Turn us again, O God, and cause your face to shine and we will be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? You feed them with the bread of tears and give them tears to drink in great measure. You make us a strife unto our neighbors and our enemies laugh among uh, themselves. Turn us again, O God of host, and cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. You have, brought a, you have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the heathen and planted it. You prepared room before it and did cause it to take deep root and it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it, and the boughs thereof like the go goodly cedars. You, she sent out her boughs into the sea, and her branches into the river. Why have you broken the, down her hedges, so that they which pass by the way pluck her? The boar out of the wood does waste it. The wild beast of the field does devour it. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven, and behold, and visit this vine and the vineyard which your right hand has planted, and the branch which you have made strong for yourself. It is burned with fire, it is cut down, they perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. So will not we go back from you, quicken us, and we will call upon your name. Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts, cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. So this is kind of an interesting psalm. This is another psalm of Asap. And Asap wrote a lot of prophetic psalms. And we read two in a row where he was talking about the judgment of God. And we see the judgment in here, but he's begging God to restore. Restore them. So we're going to look at this. It says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you that lead Joseph like a flock, you that dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. This is kind of an interesting, I like this title of God. Shepherd of Israel. The one who cares for the, for the people as a, as a shepherd cares for the flock. And we, if you think about this, the shepherd, especially in the Middle East, they led their sheep. They didn't, they didn't drive their sheep. Uh, not sure whether it was done in America or not, but you see them on TV and they're always driving the sheep in, in, the, in the movies on TV. And that's not the way it should be done. Sheep are led. They're not driven. They follow. And God calls us his sheep. And it's not a very, it's not a complimentary thing because sheep are pretty dumb. If the sheep get out of vision of the shepherd, they'll, you know, they'll cry for the shepherd and stand still. And they'll stand still a long time before they move, just buying out because they're, they're lost. They lost sight of the shepherd. And so shepherds like flat land when they're dealing with their sheep because it's so easy for a, she for a, for a sheep to get 
lost. Uh, when David in Psalm 23 said, you know, that he leads us beside still water. It's been said that uh, the sheep drinking water, if a leaf passes by on a stream, they'll, they'll fall over as they, as they follow the leaf. You know, that's how dumb they are. They just, <laughs> there's this leaf rolling by and they just <laughs> crash down to them. And, and if they're not careful, they'll be laying in that water and drowned. You know, this is, sheep are not very smart animals. And the, here, Asap saying, God, you're the shepherd of your people, Israel. We are dumb, we do dumb things, we follow idols, but you are the shepherd. And it says, you lead Joseph like a flock. You dwell between the cherubim. And this is a direct relation to the mercy seat. He dwells between the cherubim. And if you read in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and the angels cried, Holy. It pictures him in heaven, on the mercy seat of heaven, between angels. And the angels celebrating him. This, this picture, the picture of the heavenly temple that God sits in. And it says, shine forth. You know, he's asking God, shine he is, he is the light. We've been, in, in the Revelation class, we've been talking how about God is the light of everything in heaven. On day one of creation, he was the light of the world. Before the sun, before the moon, and it said, let there be light, and that was the first day. There was no source of light other than God. He was the light. Here, Asap saying, shine forth, give us your light. And one of the things about light is light oftentimes in the Bible refers to not just physical light that helps us see, but illumination, doctrine. Uh, it helps us with discernment. God shines his light on situations and we get to see them for what they really are. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but there's times when you are in the middle of a situation and God just shines the truth on there and it's like, Oh, this is what that person wants to try to accomplish. Or this is what will happen if I do this decision. God just puts a divine light upon an a activity that we're in. And the bad thing is when we ignore that light. And we get in and we go, oh man, I knew this was going to happen. Why didn't I listen? And so here Asap's saying, shine forth. Give us your light. It says, before Ephraim and Benjamin... And Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. Why he picked those three tribes, I'm not quite sure. Uh, Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh uh, may just simply be because they're Rachel's children. Okay? The special place that Rachel had. Manasseh and Ephraim are Joseph's children that Jacob said, these are mine, I'm taking these sons, you can have anybody else that you have, but these two are mine, they're not yours anymore. And basically out of that, Joseph gets two portions in the, in the tribes because he's taken out and his two sons replace him. So he gets two, two portions of it. And that may just be the simple reason why he picks Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, the special children to Jacob because they were from his favorite wife. Uh, but it says, stir up your strength and come and save us. 
he's recognizing that salvation belongs to God. How often do we sometimes forget that in our daily walk? And we try to save ourselves. We try to fix things ourselves. And it is so important that we step back and let God fix our problems. Defend us, fix our problems, clear the path. Now, in the, in the old days of the military, especially out in the West, you know, they used to use guides. And if you're going someplace you didn't know, you used a guide and the guide would take you, especially if you had to leave the main roads, the guide would take you through paths and, and, and take you through the treacherous places. God wants to be that for us. He wants to be our guide in our day-to-day -day walk and walk us through the hazards of this life. We just have to be smart enough to follow him. And sometimes we don't like to be that smart. We kind of, I can do this. I can, I can manage. <laughs> Anytime you're finding yourself thinking, I can manage, be ready for the trouble that follows. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. it will follow eventually. Because you will either be in above your head, or God will make sure that you are above your head if you're trying to do it yourself. Been there, done that many times. <laughs> of trying to do things my way and watch God make the path difficult. And if you haven't been there, you probably will be at some point, you know, that if you try to do it yourself. But here Asaph's saying, God, save us. Bring your strength out, save us. Then we read this little statement, and this statement, if you notice when I was reading it, is in here three times with one word added on each of the other two times. It adds one word each time it's used. Turn us again, O Lord, O God, and cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. The first part, turn us. Okay, God, we know we're doing wrong. You want, we want you to save us. Turn us around. This is a prayer that we all should be doing frequently. God, turn me. Turn me to face you. Okay, and it says... And cause your face to shine. We saw this a couple, couple of psalms ago. God's face to shine on us. The priestly prayer from the, for the Levites was, part of it was, God cause your face to shine on us. You think about that. You know, you think about what does it mean to shine, have the face shine on somebody. It really is a graciousness and a a pleasant thing. It shows pleasure. I kind of picture specifically grandparents when they, when they look at their grandkids. Because grandparents usually tend to ignore the bad things of the grandkids and, and grandkids are more special to them. You know, their kids were too close to them. They had to put up with them all the time. The grandkids are a little different. They're, they're, they have that specialness, you know. You don't have to put them up. You know, people will say, well, grandkids are great. You spoil them and give them back to their parents when you're done, mm -hmm. done playing with them. You know, it's the parents that have to put up with the, all the, the discipline and everything. And, and I've even heard kids say, and I've even, I think I said it myself, you know, you never let us do those kind of things. Well, you weren't the grandkids. <laughs> you know, the grandkids can get away with just about anything in the, in, in the grandparents' house. And I kind of think of this when, they, when he's saying, let his face shine. All right, it's the grandkids. Come on in. I'm, I'm taking pleasure in you. You know, it is, it's that kind of pleasure and honor that's been bestowed upon them. 
And so it says, turn us, cause your face to shine, and then you look at this, and we shall be saved. When he turns us, and his attitude comes upon us that he takes pleasure in us, we know we're safe. We know we're saved. All the first parts was God. God turn us, God shine your face upon us, and we will be saved. We will be saved. Not we may be, not we might think, but we will be saved or shall be saved. Rescued, plucked out of trouble because God turns us. The shepherd of Israel turns his people and says, get over here, you're supposed to be following me. <laughs> grabs the, grabs the, shepherd, the sheep with the crook of the, of the staff and said, get this way. <laughs> you're walking the wrong way. Turn and follow. I'm, I'm taking pleasure in you. We need to see that attitude and understand it from God. God is not looking at us to say, you're nothing but trouble, get out of my sight, or, or condemn us, or crush us. He's looking at us with great love. And because it said in the beginning, he dwells between the cherubim on the mercy seat. The other name for mercy seat is seat of propitiation. What is propitiation? It is the sacrifice that makes the, the sacrifice that fulfills the punishment. Okay. Jesus fulfilled the punishment. God looks at us not with anger, not with, not with bitterness. He looks at us with love and says, I paid a great price for you. I want you to be here. If we can only grab that, that picture of his great desire for us. He sacrificed himself for us so that we could be with him. He sits on the mercy seat where the blood has been placed for the forgiveness of our sins and all judgment is gone. Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. He paid the price. There is no condemnation. There is no bitterness. There is no anger. He loves us and wants to be with us. He wants to turn us and, and bring, him, bring us back to him. Here's that picture. The honor involved in all of this. It says, after he says this, he goes into verse 4. O Lord of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? As much as Asaph's understanding, he doesn't understand it still. He's saying, God, you're rejecting us. You're going to let us be judged. Why? Mostly because the people weren't honestly praying. They were doing prayers. And this is something that when you follow religion, you practice things without actually having your heart in it. Muslims will pray five times a day at very precise times. But they're not really doing any prayer. They're just using the same words over and over and over again. They're not. They're just ritualistic. We're told in the New Testament, do not use vain repetition in your prayers. Why was that important to him? Because it is the way the religion works. This is interesting. Sometimes even in Christian churches we can see this. There are certain very strict denominations of church. They start their service with the Lord's Prayer. 
Yeah. To the point where nobody even thinks about the words they're saying because they say it every week. And so it's just, this is what we do when we come to church. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our, give us our daily bread and you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Amen. You know, and it's about that important to them. These are just words. Same thing when we see Sunday school kids who have learned John 3.16. You know, tell me what John 3, For God so loved the world that gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does that mean? Uh, I don't know. I just, you just made me memorize it. Mm -hmm. You know, probably the mo one of the most precious verses in the scripture, and they quote it with no meaning. You know, I think oftentimes when we sing songs in church, do we think about what we're singing, or are they just vain repetition that we sing? Do we think about the beauty of the words that we're singing and the worship that we're singing behind those? No, I just get mad at the computer <laughs> when it doesn't work. <laughs> but so often we just get into the repetition of, of working with God and not thinking about the worship of God. We memorize verses and we don't think about the meaning of the verses. When I was at College Park, one of the things I had to do was, was work with the youth group on, on their memorizing their verses, and they would quote these verses, and they'd whip them off, and I'm going, okay, now what does it mean? Because right. <laughs> I dealt with the teenagers. And they go, what? Nobody's ever asked us that. I'm going, you're old enough to, you need to know what they mean, not just have a whole bunch of verses memorized. I want to know, what does this verse mean to you? which they finally got to the point where they started thinking about their verses. It wasn't just rattling off the verse and saying, okay, I've, I've marked off this next verse on my list. Because I wouldn't give it to them for just quoting the verse. Because I spent my life memorizing a lot of verses and it's only been in recent years, the last 20, 25 years, that I've really come to understand these verses have power beyond just being memorized. And we need to be able to go to God and not just vainly represent vain repetition of these things. We need to be able to understand why is it important? How come I should do this? What, what does it mean to do this? What does it mean to say this? And here we see Asaph saying the same thing. The people are praying. The people are saying their prayers. But we saw in Daniel that he prayed three times a day facing Jerusalem. Well, Daniel didn't invent that, but in Daniel's case, he prayed. <laughs> okay, he just didn't rep, you know, use vain repetition. But many of his people, including what Asaph's looking, they prayed three times a day, but it was just words. They followed the prayers that they were supposed to pray. Nothing was real. Nothing was honest. And here he's saying, God, how long are you going to be angry at our prayers? Well, they're not praying to him, really. He's not listening. Their prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing off. In verse 5, you feed them bread of tears and give them tears to drink in great measure. Again, we see Asaph talking about the exile. Okay? The last three chapters, he's been talking about the judgment of Israel, the destruction of the temple. He saw it. And again, most people say because of all how exact he was, he must have been sometime after the fall you know, in the ex exile. But I really believe that he was a prophet. I don't believe this is just a descendant. I brought up it could be. I'm not going to 
If somebody wants to say it's absolutely a descendant of his somewhere down the road, I'm not going to sit there and argue with them. But I believe he was a prophet. And here he's saying, you feed them with tears, mourning. The, and he says, you, and you water them, you get them to drink in great measure the tears. Have you ever been to the place where you're just very tearful before God, very sorrowful before God, because whatever it is really has damaged your relationship with him or pushed you far away from him? Or you're starting to come back to him and you realize how bad things are. In this case, we're seeing it as they're being pushed away from God. Their temple has been destroyed, you know, being destroyed, and they're starting to be sorrowful because what they put their hope in is being taken away. And this has been true for Israel many times over their, over their time. They put their hope in the tabernacle. They put their hope in the temple. They put their hope in externals. And God says, I'm going to remove the externals. Are you going to have your hope in me? Or is your hope in me, the God that you're supposed to be following? We do the same thing quite frequently ourselves. We put our hope in some teacher, some pastor, some leader, and not the God of the universe. Which is why when we have trouble, we don't immediately go and, and pray to God for help. Because our, truly our hope isn't in him. And he's slowly going to strip away everything that we have hope in. You know, for many, many centuries in America, people put their hope in the government protecting their rights and keeping this country strong. And we're starting to see a government that we can't put our hope in. Which is good because we're not supposed to put our hope in, in the government anyway. It's bad because so many bad things will happen because of it. But God is saying, no hope there. I want your hope. Sometimes churches get big and they put their hope in their pastor. And then they watch their pastor fall. Okay? And because of this, some sin that he gets into. And then because their hope is in the wrong thing, they look at that pastor and say, oh no, this person fell. You know, and but God is saying, I don't want your hope in your pastor. I don't want your hope in your teacher. I don't want your hope in the government. I don't want your hope in your job. A couple pastors the other day were talking about this, this, group, this woman who won't get divorced from her husband because she'll lose the house if she gets, gets divorced, but she has this guy she wants to marry now, but she doesn't want to lose her house. Where's her hope? Where's her security? Right now her security is in that house. Not in the guy she wants to marry. Yeah, well, not even in the guy that yeah. she wants to marry, but more importantly, not in God. Okay? Our hope needs to be in God. And I've heard this over and over. Well, if I do this, then how will I survive? Well, does God want you to do that? And if so, is your hope in God? Or is your hope in the security of your job? I'm hearing many, many seniors will say the same thing. Well, you know, we're both widowed, but if we get married as we want to, we're going to lose our social One of us will lose social security benefits. Where is your hope? Is your hope in the government providing you social security benefits or is your hope and trust in the God of the universe that it will keep you? Okay? This goes through, an, oh, I mean, we can pick any number of things that, that we, where do we place our hope? Is it in God or is it in something else? And this is critical for us because so many of us, many, especially younger men who are climbing the ladder, you know, put their hope in their job. 
If I climb high enough on this job, I'll be, I'll be in charge and I'll make enough money and I'll be secure. And then they get fired. <laughs> For whatever reason, downsizing, you, 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 you destroy too many people's lives on the way up, uh, you lose your health from stress, you know, uh, any number of things. Misplaced hope leads to disaster, always. And our hope must be in God. Otherwise, we're going to have lots of failures. And many people will find out after many failures because they keep putting their hope in the wrong place. Maybe eventually they'll find, let me put my hope in the right place. <laughs> I'm going to put my hope in God. I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I am relaxed and leaning on God. How many people spend most of their life worrying about things they have no control over instead of allowing God to be the protector of whatever it is they're worried about? People are worried, you know, they buy their brand new car. And they love their car, and they're always worried about getting a scratch on it. And then they're in a big accident that totals the car. <laughs> or they get the first scratch anyway because it's just going to happen. But they spend months worrying about that first scratch. <laughs> and we need to relax and put ourselves in God. Put our hope in God. He is our protector. He's going to protect our family. He's going to protect our things the way he knows that they need to be protected. He's going to protect us. The, the fun thing is that sometimes he doesn't protect us the way we want to be protected. <laughs> he doesn't protect us stuff the way we want it to be protected. Maybe he doesn't protect our family the way we want them to be protected. But he says, I want them to come to the end of their rope so they'll come to me. And we go, God, I don't want any pain on them. And God says, pain is what they need to come. Yeah. Most of us have probably been in that place where we had to get to the end of our rope and be under a lot of pain before we finally decided to totally dedicate to God. Because as long as I think I can do it, I'm not totally dedicated to God. And I need to have that spot that says, see, you're not as strong as you think you are. And God will always turn, take and move us to places that bring us to the end of our rope. Always. And this is why I love Romans 8.28 because that's sometimes the only verse I'm grabbing to when I'm at the hanging at the end of the rope saying, God, something good's got to come. If i got to let go of this rope, then, then you let me know. But I'm going to hold on to this promise and this rope <laughs> until you've made something good. And sometimes that's all we've got to hold on to. Sometimes all we've got to hold on to is the truth that God gives us. And you know what? That's a great place to be. His truth will keep us. His truth will set us free. And mostly it just means letting go of what we want. Because sometimes what we want isn't good for us. Oftentimes it isn't good for us. God, I want. And God's saying, no, I've got a really good plan for you if you just do this. I don't want to go over there, God. That doesn't make any sense. I don't see anything good there. And I've shared with you, I was arguing with God about moving to Kingman. I saw no good in coming to Kingman. I go, there's no jobs in Kingman. I'm a computer programmer, God. There's no jobs in Kingman. And, he, and you know, it's turned out to be probably one of the best moves I've ever made with God. We look at what our hope and, and faith is put into. And too often we put it in the wrong things. 
And here he's saying, you know, you're not listening to you people. You're feeding them tears. You're feeding them, you're making them drink mourning. It says verse 6, you make us a strife unto our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Okay, he's contention, their contention to, the, to their neighbors. They're in battle. And he goes, and they're mocking us. They're deriding us. We're, we're the court jesters. We're the fools. You know, because we trust in you, God. Have you been there where people are laughing at you because you're trusting God? And they're going, how can you do that? Really bad when it's our family yep. <laughs> doing it to us. But still bad even when it's our neighbors, friends, co-workers. Because it's, I'm just going to hold on to God. And sometimes it looks like it's not working. Sometimes we're in the middle of a Job situation where everybody's looking at him and saying, what a fool, you don't have anything and you're following God, you're obeying God. And we're at peace and we're at comfort, maybe, maybe in pain and, and everything, but we're at peace. God's in control. He will eventually turn it. He'll eventually turn the derision and people will see that they were wrong. May not accept it, but they'll see that you were blessed. Job's friends had to be prayed for by Job. And God turned to them and said, you better ask him to pray for you because he has been a righteous man. And they had to go to him and seek forgiveness. God will turn our problems. He will turn eventually. If nothing else, he'll turn them when we get to heaven. Now, and that's not necessarily the greatest thought, but you know, if he wants us to suffer for our entire life, he's got a purpose for it. And this is important for us to grab hold of. It all comes down to where am I focused or how am I looking at things? Am I looking for what God wants or am I looking for what I think I want? And I say it, what we think we want because we think we know what we want but we don't really realize that it's not good most of the time. And we're that child wanting what we want even though it's not good for us. And God's saying, I've got a really good plan for you. I have a plan for you. And this is why I love the sentence, and I can't remember who I heard it from, but God's perfect will is what we would choose if we knew everything. Even when it looks like everything's bad, if I knew everything that, that, that would be the results of whatever he's got in my plan, I would choose it. That means, do I know what would happen next week, a month from now, a year from now, a decade from now, for what I'm going through? And we realize, wow, if I go through this, he's making me stronger so that when I go through this thing 10 years from now, I'll be able to go through it. If I go through this now, then this person gets to watch it and say, wow, your, your, your God really does give you strength to go through hard times. I need that. Do you realize that if that's all our pain and struggle is for, from a perspective of eternity, it's worth it? If my suffering get somebody to turn to God in their life, is it worth it? It should be. You know, at least from an eternal perspective. In my office is the saying is, what is the value of one soul? What are we willing to go through, do, say, behave like to bring one soul to Christ? Am I willing to go through a terrible life? 
heard an interview with Eric, Johnny Erickson Tata the, this week, and she was talking about how she has learned to be thankful to God for the diving accident when she was 17 years old that made her a quadriplegic because it has led to so many other things that she has been able to touch people's lives and, and be a blessing to them and bring Christ into their life and see salvations because it made her tender toward their needs that she wouldn't have been tender toward if she hadn't gone through this. She's looking at an accident that took just about everything from her and saying it was a great blessing. Would she like to walk? Probably. You know, would, you know, all of us would, but she's also saying it's been a great blessing. Sometimes the darkest, hardest things that happen to in our, in our life will be a blessing to us in some way. We look at it and say, God, I don't understand how this can, and none of us will in the middle of it. In the middle of those trials, none of us will understand why or how it's a blessing. All we can do is grab onto the promise that it will be, <laughs> that it will work for good. Who's good? Maybe not even mine in the temporal world. It will be for my good in eternity. It will be rewarded in eternity. So there is always, it is always also for my good. Just may not be on this earth where I want it to be for my good. But it's for somebody's good down here even. That they look at us and say, you're faithful to your God even when this happens. You're faithful to your God even when your life falls apart. If it hasn't fallen apart, it probably will at some point. You know, maybe multiple couple of times in your lifetime it will. Who knows? But God is saying it's for good. Then we see his little, little bit of chorus again in verse 7. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. And on here he adds, of hosts. Turn us. Turn us around. God, we're going the wrong way. Grab us with that hook, O shepherd of Israel, and bring us back to you. Let your face shine upon us with pleasure, and we shall be saved. Again, God does all the work. We get the benefit. This is the greatest thing about Christianity with the relationship with God. He does everything, and then we get blessed. He draws us to him, and he gives us the blessing of peace. He draws us to get to him, and we get saved, and he gives us the, the blessing of eternal life. He draws us to him, and then turns and let us be used of him to, to bring others to him. You know, it's, it's a wonderful plan that he has. He does the, the work. It's not me striving to do the work. He turns me, he shines his face upon me, and I'm saved. And he's going to be three times that he uses that, that phrase in this, in, this, in this song. God does everything. It's all by grace. The more we realize that it's all grace, the better off we're going to be. If I think that somehow I can make anything happen in my life that's good and, and of honor to God, I'm headed down the wrong path. Because God will say, I'm going to show you what you're worth. I'm going to show you what your actions are worth. And he's going to let us fail. Then he picks us up, brushes us off, and now are you ready for me to be the one that works through you? And this is what he's going to do every time we think we have the power to do anything. He's going to say, okay, you know, he'll let us. 
He's a great parent. He'll let us fall and flat on our face and say, okay, now you're ready to do it the right way. I've seen coaches and parents that do this with their kids. You know, they let them make the mistakes, even if it means for a coach losing a game because the people aren't willing to listen to him as he teaches them the, the basics. And he says, now, are you ready to not lose again by learning how to do this the right way? Yes, coach, I'm ready to learn. God does that for us so often. He'll let us fall flat on our face trying to do it our way and basically come and say, now, are you ready? Are you ready to let me work through you? Are you ready to give up? Are you ready to have your flesh crucified and let me do the work? Are you ready for me to turn you around, look me in the face, see me being happy with you, and be saved? We could fight it. The lamb can fight it. The shepherd's going to still win, ultimately. God will always win, ultimately. No matter how hard we fight, he's going to win. So we've got to quit fighting. <laughs> we should quit fighting. <laughs> you know, sometimes the older we get and the more experience we get, the better we get at saying, oh, it's time to stop fighting because I'm tired of... tired." But when we're first saved especially, we tend to fight God at every step of the way because we want to do it our way. God, uh, I haven't got enough experience with you. I just don't trust that you're going to do it. You know, you're really going to take care of me, so I'm going to take care of myself. Okay, well, you, you fall down a few dozen times and I will pick you up and eventually maybe you'll get tired of it and come to me. He wants to turn us. He wants us to see him shining face of acceptance and save us. Now I get ready to go into verse 8. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the heathen and planted it. In this one sentence, he covers... 40 years of history. God, you took, us, you took Israel out of Egypt and then you planted us in the promised land. So it's actually more than 40 years because it's also the, the time that Joshua led them into the captivity and, and were planted in the promised land. It's amazing how fast he covered time in this, in this sentence. And it says, you have planted us. God wants to plant us into his service he takes us out of Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world. Okay? God takes us out of the world and plants us in a new place. Okay? When, when we see Egypt, Egypt is a real place. It does talk about it, but it also symbolically talks about the world. He takes us out of the world and places us in someplace else. You prepared room before it and did cause it to take deep root and it filled the land. Again, in the reality of it, Israel was planted in, in, in the promised land. They had many years where they took, and took them a long time to get rooted properly. They kept getting into idolatry worship and being knocked down, back into idol worship, being knocked down. David came along, and this is the time of Asaph, and he sees the prosperity of Israel as it follows God as they follow God. Under David, they had almost all of the land that God said that they would own, all the way from the Mediterranean Sea to right up against the Euphrates, down to Egypt, all across the, the desert. They had the land they were supposed to have. They flourished. Their roots went everywhere. Their roots went deep. Do you realize God wants to do the same thing with us as Christians? 
He wants to plant us. He wants to see us flourish and pass out his love, his care, his testimony. It takes time. But when isn't it wonderful when we get to see his him lifted up? If he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Our job is simple. We lift Jesus up. In every situation, we lift him up. And people are drawn to him. I don't have to try to talk people into to believing in God. I don't have to twist their arm to make them believe in God. I lift Jesus up. This is the one that paid for the sins. This is the one that, that made it so you can stand before God. And we give our testimony and we tell the story. God has greatly done this. God has done this. God has done that. It's amazing if we start learning to pray to see God answer those Talk prayers. Just like this afternoon. Just like this afternoon. Yeah. yeah. Talking about how God has answered prayers. Mm -hmm. Reading the biographies of these individuals where God has answered prayer. You know, we look at Annie's favorite, The Hiding Place with Corey Tenboom and God's answered prayers. You read Brother Andrew, the, you know, the Bible smuggler for God and the way God answered prayers and, and hid the Bibles from inspections and protected him. You read people like Praying Hyde who learned to pray and, and, and watch the blessings of God pour in. It is wonderful to read these stories and see how God met the prayers. Read a book like The Cross and the Switchblade where you see David Wilkerson, uh, you know, story of how he was able to evangelize in New York City in the early days and, and bring Nicky Cruz and other gangsters to the Lord. You know, it's amazing when we start looking at these and seeing what God is, not what all he's done, but what he is doing. God still wants to be planting us and watching his name be lifted up. And his name does not return void. His name does not come back and empty. We may not see it or we may not understand it, but it doesn't go out and come back empty. It touches people. It touches people. One of the mentions I heard just two days ago was where the pastor was saying how hard it is when you're in a sowing season and you don't get to reap the, reap the rewards from it. All you're doing is pouring out God and you're throwing seeds out and you're, and you're seeing the seeds be watered, but you're not seeing the people come to oh. harvest. Mm. But you know, God says some, some sow, some water, and some get to reap. But we all have a part of it. Because the person wouldn't have been able to reap if the sow seed hadn't been sown in the first place. Mm -hmm. The seed wouldn't have been able to be reaped if, they, if somebody hadn't yeah, come along it. and watered it over the years. None of us are, you know, the person who reap, reaps it is not any better than the one who sowed or the one that reaped because it's all God. And the good news is God rewards all of it. He rewards all of the pieces that have had a part in it. This is why I share with our church, you know, every little bit that we do to reach out the gospel is part of everybody in this church. Those who pray for it, those who give money to get it to support, those who, you know, water on it. Verse 10, the hills were covered with the shadow of it. The boughs thereof were like goodly cedars. The growth of the 
children of Israel. They were everywhere. They'd covered the land under David. They covered the land under Solomon. And then they went away from God. Pretty much under Solomon they started it and it continued afterwards. And they started sinning. David was their golden age of, of Israel. And they expanded. And it wasn't a perfect time under David, but it was a time when they were brought into righteousness. The temple was, he brought, he brought the tabernacle to Shiloh, from Shiloh to Jeru, just outside of Jerusalem to say, this is where we're going to worship God. We're going to worship him here at the capital. And it covered all over the place. It, God drove out the enemies. He, they, he put them into root, get deep roots. God will drive out our enemies. He lets us get deep roots if we just trust him. And he lets us grow and touch lives, sometimes all over the place. I love it when Annie, Annie tells me about you know, talking to people in the, in the grocery store, in the lines, mm -hmm. the, the, the poor, the poor uh, sales calls. You thought they were calling her to make a sale <laughs> you know, and get to be sold the gospel. Instead, you know, all of this that goes in, roots. Are we really ready to lift up God? That's one thing I can't wait. If I ever get another teller marker, I haven't for a long time. I'm going to say, first, do you believe in God? I'm going to say, then I'm going to make one I just want to do that. I could always just hang up. I said, I'm going to do that. I want to do that. Come on, call. They won't call now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that they kind of know. And the, Lord, and the Lord is kind of pushing those words out. Yeah, I mean, when I say certain things, I know it's not me saying it because when it comes out, it sounds too good for me to even say it. Mm -hmm. But I say it, but it is. Yep. Verse 11, she sent out her boughs into the sea and her branches into the river. This is a direct picture of them having the territory they were supposed to have from the, from the Mediterranean Sea to the Euphrates River. He says, Yes, we put it, you know, we did what we were supposed to. We grew. We touched basically the then, as far as they were concerned, world. Mm -hmm. You know, they were touching the world in his day. You know, we got the great sea, we're, we're all the way out to the river. We, you know, God, you've given us our territory. We're growing, we're doing things. And then his question in verse 12 Why have you broken down her hedges or her walls so that they that pass by the way do pluck her? Israel fell into sin and rejected God. And God started with just simple judgments. You know, let me, let me get, you know, we're going to start taking away some of your territory. We're going to let you get harassed a little bit. Come to me. God always starts out with light judgments. It may not seem light to us when we're in the middle of them, but when we, if we don't pay attention to the light judgments, we realize that we wished we had the light judgments again because we realize how light they were. But God will always make things progressively harder on us the more we reject him. And it starts out just simply light. You know, let me take away a blessing or two. Then he gives us direct opposition. <laughs> and if we're really, really not paying attention, we're sent into some form of captivity. In our case, it's not necessarily literal captivity, but it might be losing a job, losing some of our health, losing our children's health, you know, whatever it might be, God says, are you ready to turn? Are you ready to turn? 
sometimes those things are just tests of Joe, like Job had, you know, saying, we're going to see if you're going to stay faithful. Other times it's a test to say, you're misbehaving. And this is why I say, anytime we have really hard times hit us, the very first thing we have to ask ourselves is, have I done something that deserves this? And be willing to honestly look at our life and say, oh, yeah, I did this, this, and this. Uh, okay, God, and repent and confess and, and watch him re redeem it. If we look at our life honestly and say, no, we didn't deserve it, then, okay, okay God, you're trying to teach me something. You know, I'm ready to learn. Help me learn. Because that's what Job's was really all about, was to teach him. And we shared it. You know, Job, Job believed a prosperity gospel. Do good things and good things happen. You know, period. Do bad things and bad things happen. So, if you're blessed, you're good. If you're being judged, you're bad. <laughs> that was Job's mentality. And it's the same thing as the prosperity gospel today. Do good things and God must and has to reward you. That's the prosperity gospel. Manipulate God. He's a genie in the bottle. You know, do good things and he must. No, he you know, must. Must. That's the prosperity yeah. gospel. It's not true. It's not biblical. But they like to control God. They like to think they can control God with that mentality. And God will look down on them and say, I don't have to do anything. You know, I may choose to bless you, but I don't have to do anything. I used to tell people that as a manager. I go, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to give you the hours you want. I don't have to give you the days off that you want. I'm usually nice to do it, but I don't have to do something because I'm the boss. You, know, you can choose not to work for me. That's between you, but I don't have to do anything. Now, is life better if I gave them their days off and, their, and, and helped them? Yes, but you know what? The minute somebody thought that I had to do it, I would make sure they didn't get something just to show them that they're not in control. God does the same thing with us. Yes, will he normally bless us when, we, and when we're obedient? Yes, because he says we're going to reap what we sow. But if we get to the place where we think he must do something, <laughs> God's just like, like we are. He's going, well, let me show you how much I, what I must do. I'm the sovereign. I'm the God of the universe. I created all of you. I'm the master. I can break or unbreak. I can, I can reshape. I can, I can do what I want, God says. <laughs> Let me show you. Here we're seeing them think that because everything is right, they must be blessed. And yet, in ASAP's time, he's seeing the future and saying, we're starting, they're doing things wrong. God's going to take down some of the protection. People are going to, he says, here, pluck the, pluck the grapes off the vines, because that's where he started off. You know, before the vine, everything in the vines belonged to them, and they got, they got to keep the vine, the grapes and the vine, the produce. And God says, I'm going to take the walls down. Anybody walking by you is going to be able to take. God does this in our life so often when we don't pay attention to him when we're not realizing we're grace, when, it's, when we think it's something we have done that deserves the blessing. And it's so interesting sometimes we start out saying, thank you God for all these blessings, and then a year later we're going, wow, look how blessed I am, and look at all the things I have done. Look at the rewards that I have got. <laughs> so often we watch people and God blesses them. And I love to use this, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, actual physical possessions. 
you start doing well and God says, okay, you can have these little toys that you want. You can have the big TV, you can have the, the quad, you can have the bikes, you can have the RV, you can have the boats. And the very thing God blesses them with take the, takes them away from God. Because all of a sudden, if you have all the stuff, you've got to use it. I would love to have a boat. One problem is I'd never be able to use a dumb thing because I'm so busy serving God. So I can borrow it, though. <laughs> so eventually, eventually, I hope that God gives me a boat in heaven so I can go sailing in heaven. That would be fun. But there's supposed to be no oceans up there. But there's rivers. There's river. There's rivers and there's probably lakes. So no sea. But you got to understand that from the Jewish perspective, seas were bad. Trouble came from the sea. Okay, seas always represented trouble to the Jews. They were not a seafaring folk. They did not like the, the sea. They saw that as the nations and the heathens, and all trouble came from the sea as far as they were concerned. So, Jews won't get seas, but we will. Yeah, well, I don't know. We, there, there, there's rivers, and probably, if there's rivers, there's probably lakes, so I'm not too worried about it. There'll be some place to sell a boat. <laughs> but... You know, the same thing, I'd love to have an RV and just travel around the country. That'd be fun, except for one problem. It would keep me away from church too much, so I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Uh, so this is what he's saying. I'm going to remove, I'm gonna, you know, and blessings sometimes can take us away from God. Yeah. Because we start looking at the blessings instead of God. The, we look at the gift and not the giver. And so it's something we have to be careful of. It says, why have you broken down our hedges so they that pass by the way pluck her? The boar out of the wood does waste it. The wild beast of the field does devour it. So he's, he's talking about a picture of watching Israel fade away. Uh, we think about the, the boar, the wild pigs coming out of the woods. If they got into a, a field, what, what destruction that they would do? If nothing else, they love to root out the, the roots of things. They kill, they kill healthy plants and they don't even worry about the fruit of the plant. They're just after the root. And he says all the other beasts will come and devour it as well. And this is quite a, quite a picture. You know, most city folk can't understand this because it doesn't really resonate with city folk, but one of the problems of a farmer is the wild animals getting into their fields, birds eating the seeds, uh, you know, uh, other fox, fox and other animals coming in, devouring it, rabbits coming in and you know, eating the lettuce and carrots and, and everything that is out there. The squirrels coming in, yeah. It's, you know, all the animals that can destroy your field. And this is the picture that ASAP's talking about. The field is being destroyed. God, this was your field, by the way. You know, God, it's your field. You planted it. You, you made it grow. And now you're taking the protection away. The hedges are being taken away. The animals are coming in. The people just come in and take what they want as they go by. Yeah. Have you ever, I don't know if any of you have lived in a farming area, but I, I, I lived in a farm area and I watched people park on the side of the road, going to the corn, you know, going into the cornfields and plucking the corn out the stalks and driving away. You know, going into the soybeans and grabbing the soybeans off the plants, you know. They were gleaning, right? <laughs> yeah, they were gleaning, you know. Not no, quite. They were stealing. They were stealing. You know, go by the apple orchard and take a whole bunch of apples off the orchard, you know. Uh, you know, if you get caught, you're in trouble because you are stealing. Most of the time, they didn't get caught. So, but God is saying, all of this stuff, you know, Asaph is saying all of this is happening. 
Verse 14, it says, Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and behold and visit your vine. Your vine. God, pay attention. <laughs> Bad things are happening down here, God. Pay attention. But that's the prayer that God wants from us. When it seems to be, God, when it seems to be going hard, we go, God, return. Pay attention. I, I know that I've done wrong. I repent. And I've, and I've said, many times I've said to God, you know, God, I don't understand why, or why this is being done. You've promised that it's for good. That's all I can hold on to. We need his promises. We need his promises to know that he is still in control. And always remember God's in control, even when it seems like he's not in control because we don't know everything, he is in control. He knows what he's doing. He knows why it's happening. When you're, when you're in the accident and your car gets hurt, you know, broken down or destroyed, you, you have bad things with your health, something goes wrong with your kids, God knows what's going on. He has a plan. And during anything that goes wrong in our life, we have two choices in front of us. We can fight God over it and make the problem last a lot longer as we're fighting with him. Or we can just have faith rest that God is in control and sit back and say, God, don't understand it. Don't know what's going on, but you do. The more we fight against it, the harder things get and the longer they'll last. And even if it doesn't take longer, when we're fighting against it, it sure seems to take longer because we're battling and fighting. And, but when we just learn to rest, rest in God's plan and let him take the brunt of the weather. When we're hiding in him, we don't feel the storm. We don't feel all the trouble. We just hide in him. It's just like when you're in the storm the other day when the hail came down in here in, in chloride, it was nice to be inside the building. You know, that hail was pretty good size. I didn't want to be out in the hail getting mm -hmm. pelted by the hail. And it came down hard and fast. Pretty big hail, too. Pretty good size. It was about pea size. You know, and, you know, being inside the building was a great place to be. So we need to be in God. He is our fortress. He's our strong tower. Nothing is going to hurt him, no matter how bad it seems to us if we were outside in it. He says, I am your protection. Hide in him. Look into there. He says, verse 15, In the vineyard which your right hand has planted, and the branch that you made strong yourself, it is burnt with fire, it is cut down, and they perish at, rebuke, at the rebuke of your countenance. He says, God, this is your vineyard. You planted it. And it says specifically with your right hand, and we've talked about how right hand is the, the hand of approval. God, you planted this garden. You approved of it. You made it strong. And notice this. It says, you planted. You made it strong. Okay? It wasn't that somehow the garden itself decided, well, okay, we're planting ourselves, and we're going to be strong here in this garden. God did all the work. We need to keep that in mind, always. God has made us who we are. God has given us the strength that we have. He is the one that has planted us where, wherever it is we're planted. Mm -hmm. 
and he's our protector. If he wants to put a wall around us so Satan can't touch us and bad things can't touch us for a while, praise God. But if he decides to take down that wall and put us through trials, praise God. Because he's judged us worthy of the trial. And we are to be ready to give him thanks. It says in, in Thessalonians, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God. It does not say, in good things give thanks, for this is the will of God, and in the bad things don't give thanks. He says, in everything give thanks. Because it's what God has willed for our life. And that is a hard thing to do sometimes. When bad stuff is pounding against us, and we're, and we're out in the middle of it trying to do it ourselves and not hiding in God, it's hard to give thanks. Because we're not in the right place. We're not hiding in God and letting the storm pound on him. And no storm is big enough to pound on God it would, you know, and make him feel it. It might terrify us and tear us to pieces, but it doesn't hurt God at all. You know, it doesn't even bother God. And we look at this and he says, here Asaph saying, God, your, your, your vineyard's being burnt down. It's being destroyed. It says, verse 17, let the hand... Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the Son of Man, whom you made strong for yourself. The person that he has approved, he makes us strong. He makes us strong enough because we're hiding in him that makes us really strong. We've got the best defender in the world. Now, people will talk about, well, if you, you know, if you keep picking on me, I'm going to go get my big brother. I'm going to get my dad. Well, we have the biggest brother that you can, you know, that, that can, that's out there. When Satan's picking on us, we need to go hide in him and say, Satan's picking on me. I need you to protect. And he will. He will protect us because that's his promise. Satan is a defeated enemy. When God comes along, it's like, uh-oh, goodbye. You know, Satan says, uh-oh, goodbye. I'm not, I'm not going to stick around. I'm I'm not, I'm not going into another fight with this guy. He's already beat me. When we're approved of God, he makes us strong. Most of that strength is being yoked up with him. We have a protector with us at all times because we're yoked up with him. He says, my, my burden is light. Carry my burden. I'll take your burden. And our heavy burden to him is nothing at all either. But he says his burden is light. He says, I'm, I'm carrying the burden. I just want you to come along with me. We want to picture this, just walking with him in all that we do. He wants us there. He wants us to give us what, what bothers us and take, his, take every, all of his blessings, because that's what his burden is, blessings. <laughs> He's going to give us blessings. If we want to walk outside of him, he'll let us struggle. But he's saying, I'm, I'm your fortress. I'm your, 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 your shield. I'm your portion. I'm your strong fortress. Put on Christ. Dwell in Christ. If we're dwelling in Christ and Satan comes knocking, who does he get to see? He gets to see Christ. Christ has already defeated him. We only need to have to deal with Satan if we want to reject being in Christ for a while. And we don't want to do that, and yet we do it so often. Well, God, let me go stand out here in the middle of the battle with no armor on and no protection and see how long I last. You know, I'll come back to you when I need you. 
last seconds <laughs> if we're smart. You know, you step outside and immediately the arrows get shot at you and it's like, well, I better get back inside. The storm cars coming down on us, I better get inside. And like knuckleheads, we like to stand in the storm and get beat up for a while. Stand in the middle of the battle with no armor, no protection and say, I can do this, God! <laughs> get knocked down five or six times and bruised and bloodied and cut and, well, and, and crawl our way back into the shelter and saying, why was I so stupid? <laughs> In the war, the soldier does not go out without their armor on and their protective gear unless they're an idiot. And too often as Christians, we go out without the protective gear, without Christ, and get beat up. Even when it says in Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God, what does it say that we do in that armor? We stand. We stand in, with the armor of God on. And every piece of the armor is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So everywhere else that Paul says, be in Christ, he's saying the same thing when he says, put on the armor of God. It's all Jesus. And we are not going out to do battle. We are going out to stand clothed in Christ because he has already won the war. God in the Old Testament said, I am your shield, I am your buckler. Hide in me. We are to hide in Christ. And let him be the one that go talks to the devil every time the devil knocks. And quit trying to think that we somehow are, are that the devil's somehow afraid of us. The devil has absolutely no fear of us. The devil really doesn't have any fear of the other angels. He was the archangel. He was stronger, tall, and, and, and their boss. He's not afraid of the other angels. The only one that he has any fear of is God. And why is he afraid of God? Because God has defeated him at the cross. He has been defeated, and that's why he fears him and him only. We have, he has no fear for us. I love the, the story of the seven sons of Sceva. They go to cast out the demon, and they say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches... We command you to go out, and the demon looked at him I go, and said, we know, we know God, Jesus. We are, we are beginning to know who Paul is, but who are you? Is that they attack him and drive him out and chase him out of the house and stripped and beat. Yeah. Satan is not afraid of us. He's afraid of Jesus. We oh, need to grab hold of that. Yeah. Verse 18, so will not we go back from you, or we won't go away from you, quicken us and we will call upon your name. Quicken means to make alive or restore life. When we have trouble, we want God to quicken us. We were lost in our sins and God quickened us. He made us alive. We had a dead spirit in us and God quickened us and gave us a living spirit that seeks after him. Has to fight the soul and the body, but it has a living spirit that wants what he wants. That's why we have the Romans eight, uh, 6 and 7 dilemma. We do the things we don't want to do and don't do the things that we want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul said. I've got the spirit that wants to do good things and I've got the body and the flesh that wants to do, uh, the body and the spirit that wants to do the wrong. 
and sometimes they win, sometimes the spirit wins, and I do, you know, I don't do the things I want to do, and I keep doing the things that I don't want to do, and he says, this is a terrible place to be. And the problem oftentimes is that we're feeding the wrong part of our life. The more we feed the spirit, the more we're going to do right things. How do we feed the spirit? We get into the word of God, we listen to teaching, we meditate on God, we pray, to, we, pray we walk with the spirit, we walk with other Christians. The more we don't do those things, the more the flesh will get strong and, and rule against us. And in our day and age especially, when the flesh is being fed at every turn, you know, it gets fed by our music, it gets fed by our entertainment, it gets fed by just the people around us if they're not Christians. It is getting fed all the time and how often do we make the wrong decisions because our, we're feeding the flesh so much. Will we ever get to be perfect? Not in this world. But can we get to be more and more perfect as the time goes on? Yes, who are we, who are we feeding? How, how are we living? What are we filling our brains with? And then he goes to his little chorus. Turn, again, turn us again, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we will be saved. Do you notice how he keeps elevating the name of God in this? First he says, turn us again, O God. Just a simple, God, you're the one in charge. Then his statement was, O God of hosts. The mighty God, the, one, the leader of the, of the armies. Turn is much better than restore mm -hmm. in this particular case. It ends up being the same thing, but it literally pictures that turning as the shepherd of Israel on that very first verse. And then that last verse, O Lord God of hosts. <laughs> yeah. he, he really gets strong on the end. You know, it's you're not just God, you're the Lord God. And you've got an army at your, at your command. And we just see that progressing of how we see in God and the power of God. Same way we do in our, in our walk with God so often. We see him and we keep raising him up. We keep raising up who he is and he, and he becomes more and more real to us. And you know, when he becomes really real to us and we start seeing him as the Lord God of the hosts, we we're really experiencing his power, his love, his care. There's not, you know, he starts out with, oh God, you know, <laughs> okay, God, you're, you're there. How many times do we get, are we in that place where, God, you're just, yeah, you're God. And then we get to really know him. We have that relationship with him. And he's so much more than just God. He is the Lord. He is the Almighty One. He is the provider. He is the savior. He's the comforter. He's the healer. All the names of God get, get played into that last statement. You know, our healer, our, our peace, our, our God. The one that protects us. The one that cares for us. And we get to that point and life gets to be a lot easier because we're in relationship with the God of the universe. And relationship is everything. It really is. The relationship with God is everything for our protection, for, for how much he cares for us. And it takes that relationship. He wants a relationship with us. That's why he sent the son to die for us. And as he said, he taught us to pray, our father. Not our God, not, not the, 
not the big man in the sky, uh, you know. Uh, our Father in heaven. Our Father that cares for us, that loves us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, teach us that you are the one that cares for us, that you are the one that wants to keep us, that you are the one who has all power and, and will protect us in all things. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.